Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message at Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy this message. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, really the honor and blessing is mine. Um, we moved here from Kansas a little over a year ago, and I've never been more welcome, more loved by the body of Christ. Um, in Iowa, Nebraska, and Kansas, everywhere that I've lived, it's been a blessing and an honor. And now I get the honor and privilege to be up here and to preach the word. Um, and bef- before we get started, I want you guys to know that um, I went through a study and Bible study a few weeks ago about how God is good. And I can tell you that he is good. The fact that he brought you here today, the fact that he brought you in here, I don't know if you'd know what it takes to come to church. Especially with me, I got three little kids. You have to feed them, clothe them, whatever else you got to do to get them in the car. Those things happen, yet Satan always is trying to draw you away and make every excuse you can not to come and not believers. So the fact that you're here shows how much God's love is that he brought you here and he allowed you to come today. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with his word and who he is. And so before I get started, I've had a lot of prayer the last few weeks. I've had a lot of prayer this morning. had more prayer out there. I'm going to ask that we pray some more before I get in the word to make sure that his word goes forth and not mine. So Father, I just come to you, Lord, just to Oh, just thanking you, Father, that you have such good words for us. You are such a good dad. Lord, that we actually get to be here and to be as believers together from freedom. Lord, there are many places in the world where they don't have that. But you so far, you've blessed us, Lord, we can still gather together. So, Lord, I pray for protection over this time. Even this morning, I felt like Satan was just trying to attack, trying to divide and say, hey, this isn't right, this isn't good. But, Lord, I know that your word is true. So all I have to do is read it. And thankfully, you do all the rest. So, Lord, I pray that you would protect this time, Father, that our hearts would be set towards you, our faces would be set towards you, that we could hear the truth that you've given. And, Lord, I do pray that you set our hearts on fire, not for the things of this world, but for your kingdom, your glory, and your honor. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So to say that I struggle over these verses for the past few weeks would be an understatement. To think of what the Lord calls us to do, but also the fact that we're in a war. I don't know if you guys understand this, but we are in an actual physical battle every day. Even when we lay our heads down, there's still a battle that's going on. We have the Father who sits up in the throne and all the glory, and then we have the adversary that tries to seek, kill, and destroy. And it's important to know who the adversary is. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 8. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, a lot of times you hear these and you think, okay, well, car wrecks, fast food, cigarettes, tobacco, all these things that might kill us. What I'm telling you is it's a little bit more than that. See, the battle isn't between the physical. That's not the battle. We already had the victory and all that, so when this body dies, if we're a believer, we go to heaven. There's already those victories. So it doesn't matter what happens in the physical, it happens everything in the spiritual, and he is seeking who he may devour. And I'm telling you right now, it's something the Lord put on my heart over a year ago. It specifically is what we do in our time. There are so many things that distract us from the Lord that he is used as a tool to keep us away from him. Many things, many things. <clears throat> Satan's also described that he searches, kills, and destroys. He is searching for every moment that he can draw you away from the Lord. Every little thing starts out little. It's to be a little bit more, a little bit more until he thinks he's won the victory. But he's not going to stop. He won't stop until the final days are done and complete. But this is what he's doing. So I thought we'd start about what the battle is. A great description of the battle is in Ephesians 6.
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 8. Now I want you to think back in the times before we had what they call sophisticated war. When they would go out to battle, they would make sure they had certain things with them. They'd make sure they had a helmet, a shield, a breastplate, a sword, something to cover their legs. They went out to battle with that. Now the thing with that was they, went, they didn't go out not knowing how to use it. They went going out knowing how to use the armor. They knew how to use the sword. They knew how to protect themselves. And they were brought up young doing it. So it's interesting how he uses that to describe what the battle is and what we need. So in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, finally, my brethren, again, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You're to put on the whole armor of God. He doesn't say put on a piece or a couple pieces. He says put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. This is the battle, this is the fight, this is the war. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take into the whole armor, says it again, the whole armor, not part, the whole armor, that you may be able to do what? Again, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about you with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I always used to stop right there and say, okay, I got it. I get the armor. I understand who it is and what it is. I'm ready to go out in battle. I never read the next verse. Verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of the saints. He's not saying just go out into the battle because you have it on. He's saying pray. Be on your knees and in prayer. Why? So you can withstand the devil. You can go out and fight. That's when he builds and lifts you up. The time is when we get distracted, and that's what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to get on your knees and pray. He doesn't want you to search out the scriptures. Why? Because he knows he's whooped. That's why. This is why. So he's telling us to pray. Right now, we can look at so many things in this world that's going on. We can look just in specifically in the U.S. We can look outside the place. And when I sat here and I was looking, I was talking about, talking about these scriptures, I kept saying, Lord, what is it you're trying to show? You want? Okay, I think everyone understands most of this. But then I questioned myself, do I really understand what he means? Have I sought the scriptures with tears, weeping and praying and asking, Lord, what does this mean? And in his faithfulness, he shows you. See, in the U.S., there are many churches that are known for lots of things. You have Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who are known for their evangelism. You have the uh, Baptists who are known about their strictness, laws. You have us. We're known about speaking in tongues and being passionate. And what the Lord struck them with is where is the church that they're known for their prayer? Where is the church that's known for their fighting in the spiritual, not the physical? That's right. So we look at that and we think, Lord, what is it that you're doing? So look how we're fighting things. Now, I'm about as Republican as you can get. I'm not afraid to say it. But that's not where the battle is. We can have someone in power the same beliefs as I do, same moral standard as I do, and still lead this nation straight to hell. That's not where the fight is won. We look at abortions. We make a law that says that abortion is good. Well, before it wasn't. 53 million babies have been killed since abortion has been legalized. Question is, how many was that before it was legal? Laws do anything for your morality or for your faith. Nothing. You look at murder. Murder is already illegal. How many people are killed every day in the streets? 
How many husbands kill their, kill their kids? It's already illegal. It has nothing to do with it. But we, for some reason, think, especially in America, that if we put the right person in power and make the right rules, then this country will be saved. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. It is fought through prayer. It's through the battle of prayer, on our knees, weeping to him. We look at all these things. The devil's so clever. He thinks, oh, great, I'm building you guys up. I'm letting you go out there and toil. It's all for vain, all vanity. Unless the Lord is causing. Now, the Lord does put rules in place. He can do those things. But he is after the heart. Heart. Wickedness is prevailing. We look in uh, Genesis, where God stated the words that he repented. Repented for creating us. In the last days, the world will be just as corrupt as the days of Noah. And we are there already. You think, how can it get any worse? I probably don't want to know. But it certainly can. But we have to stop thinking that if we put enough laws in place, if we do enough in the physical realm, then everything will be fine in the U.S. That's not what does it. Right here, the only way we withstand is through prayer, is putting on the armor. That's what he's trying to show us. Satan will take away your time. That way you don't, you think you're doing right. Hey, I'm going out and doing all these things. When's the last time you prayed for this country? That you've wept? That you've cried over the sins that are here? That you've wept for your own family? We went to dinner or breakfast yesterday morning and my heart was just wrenched. We were sitting down there we're eating and I generally never take my phone out of my pocket when I'm eating. I look at the tables and all I see is fathers and mothers not talking, looking at their phones. And what are they looking at? Heaven only knows. But a time though is when we have to start talking about the truth. We have to start talking about what God is really calling us to do. He is not saying to fight it in, this, in the physical realm. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about your hearts. See, Satan wants to destroy your body and your soul. God wants to save your soul. Everything can happen in this physicalness, but Satan cannot steal my soul. God is in control. We cannot continue to fight it, though, without prayer. And I believe the Lord is specifically calling the church in the United States. We heard it today about revival. We heard it down there about um, during uh, the prophecy. We, we hear about revival all the time. My question is, though, is why are we not on our knees every day praying to God that he would revive us? No. Let's look at our websites to tell us what we need to think and how we need to think. Let's read the bestseller books. Let's go to them to see what they think so therefore I can go to my own and figure out my own thing and what to do. It's not what he's calling here. He doesn't say, hey, go out there with a best-selling novel and go preach. He's saying, put on the whole armor of God, and while you're doing that, pray. Pray. We can't do these things on our own. We weren't set up like that. We were set up to rely on him, to be in constant communion and prayer with him. Satan will find every way to get rid of that. I look in churches today, and I, I generally look around, and I see people on their phones when they're doing worship. I see them while they're on their praying, or when people are praying, or when the preacher's up pastoring. Maybe they're looking at their phone for sure. But I can tell you, when you have a temptation in your hand to take you away, Satan's going to do everything he can to have things pop up to get your mind off what the Lord is telling you. You have to be praying against that. We see what happens when we do things in the physical in Matthew 26, 51 and 52. Matthew 26, 51 and 52. As long as I can turn my Bible there. Matthew 26, 15, 51, 2. And behold, one of them 
wherewith Jesus stretched out his hand and drew out his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was friends with Jesus and I was walking with him and someone tried to kill him, I probably would attempt to kill him. Not Jesus. Make sure I got that out there. But the person trying to kill him. Now, Jesus, we know, and he calls us earlier, he could have brought down a whole legion of angels to stop it. Be done. He could have allowed Peter to continue fighting. Yes, please protect me. But it's not what he did. Look what he says. Then Jesus says to him, Put again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. And I read that so many times, I thought, okay, that just means that I can't, uh, I don't chop somebody's ear off with the sword. That's a bad thing. But I look at that, and here he's trying to show us what the issue is. Peter thought he could stop what God was trying to do in his own strength and his own might. Not listening to what the Lord had for it and what the Lord was planning to do. Verse 33 says, Thankest thou I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions. Be fulfilled, that thus it might be. He could have stopped it right there, but it wasn't what the Father wanted. He, he wasn't sitting there saying, hey, Peter, go ahead and keep killing. Keep doing it in your own strength. No, listen to what the Father has commanded me to do, and I have to go and do it. So, when the Scriptures call for us to go out and to pray before battle, pray during battle, pray after battle, what do you think he's saying? Do it in your own might? No, lean on me. Lean on me. He's going to protect us. I always say the worst thing that anybody could ever do is kill this body. And mine's not that good, so I wouldn't be too sad if it was gone. <laughs> My wife might think something different. But we see here is that we see that. So this is again points out that no rule, no law, nothing that man puts in place is going to solve what the Lord is trying to do. It's not going to affect the heart of men. There are things that do affect the hearts of men. You know, I think of before I became a Christian, how many men and women prayed for me before I got saved. I had my parents who prayed. I had a brother and a cousin who prayed. I had a faithful two people in high school. If you would have known me back then, you would have been afraid to pray with me or even for me, but they continually did it. Why? They were asking that the Lord would prick my heart and break me. They, they, could go, they could talk to me all they want about it, all that they wanted to do, all until they were blue in the face, and I never would have accepted it. But through prayer, through the Lord doing the work, faithful people doing what he's called them to do, then something happened. Not the other way around. I didn't think it. I would have stuck with drugs and alcohol and been just fine. But no, through prayer, this is what he's asking us to do, is through prayer. And specifically, specifically the believers. We should be known for our hearts and for our prayers. We should not be known if I got smoke screens or if I had the best youth ministry in the world because I got all these flashy lights. Do we have a youth pastor who weeps and prays over the kids? Do we have a pastor who weeps and prays over their flock? If it's yes to that, that's what we need to be known for. The time is getting too near the end for us to stand around and not do anything. You know, I talk so much about presents that I might get at Christmas time. Usually a book or a pair of socks. <laughs> They're all good gifts. But I talk so much about that because there's a joy of receiving that gift. We've been given the best gift in the world. If you're a believer, you've been given the, the best gift, which is Christ. But if you go out there without prayer first, you're going to find out what a battle really feels like. Because you're going to try and do it in your own strength. You're going to try and save people by your own might. And you're going to get walloped. He's asking us to be on our knees in prayer. Jesus, there's over 29 verses that specifically talk about Jesus praying. Jesus, by the way, had the best relationship with the Father. 
Absolute best, lacking nothing. Not lacking any of the Holy Spirit, not lacking any of the gifts, not lacking anything. But yet he still found times in his quiet time by himself, away from everyone, to pray to his Father. 29 verses. 29 verses. Specifically talking about him praying. What was he doing the night before he got captured? Praying. Why? He knew, was a, he knew what was coming ahead. When we're getting ready to pray for revival, are we praying knowing what's going to be coming ahead? Because I'm going to tell you, when you have the prostitutes, the drug lords, the pimps, the murderers, the thieves coming into the building, you might run away scared if you're not prepared by praying and reading the word. We were all just like it. All just like it. The time is getting too close to the end for us not to be thinking, not to be praying to the Lord. Psalm 63. And I asked, I was like, Lord, you know, I, I know that we're supposed to pray like it says in Matthew, our Father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I, was, I can repeat those verses probably in my sleep. I can repeat verses um, when I'm praying over my meal. I can repeat lots of things when I do things kind of routinely. And so this whole time I was like, Lord, I said, how can I break out of that? How can I pray for what you want me to pray for? By the way, there's over a thousand books on how to pray. Over a thousand books on how to pray. Do you know what the best one is? It's right here. We don't need to search very far. So Psalm 63. This is David. David was considered a man after God's own heart. By the way, he wept on his pillow enough to soak it. He prayed more to the Father than probably anywhere else in the Scripture. He cried out to him more than anybody. He wept. He mourned. He also had joy. We look in Psalm 63. It says, O God, that art my God, early will I seek thee. Where do you think Satan wants you early in the morning? Sleeping. This morning, the Lord woke me up at 3.30, quarter to 4. What do I want to do? I got to preach. I'm tired. Let me go to bed. Four o'clock, I had a sharp pain in my back. I couldn't lay down. Had to get up, walked. This is how much I fought the Lord this morning, by the way. Said, okay, I'm good to go. I go lay back down. I'm sitting there rolling around. My wife wakes up about five o'clock. I'm like, well, I guess I might as well just get up. But I can tell you the verses that were given to me this morning are the verses that the Lord has given me to tell you today. So if I would not have been obedient, finally, you would have heard words out of my own mouth, out of my own strength, out of my own mind. But he is faithful. So early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land, in a dry land. Somewhere where, I mean, you think in the desert when you're craving water. You have all these mirages. That's how we're to cry and to thirst after the Lord. Not after the things of this world, not after my phone, not after the next movie, not after the Walking Dead TV show. Any of you are watching that? I don't know anything about it. But my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. To see thy power and thy glory, so have I seen thee in the sanctuary. Where do you see them? In the sanctuary. Because of your loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless thee while I live. He didn't say I bless you for a hundred years. He said, while I live, while I'm here, I will bless you. I will follow you. I will love you. I will lift my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, when upon my bed, early in the morning will I seek you, and I'll remember you when I lay down all day and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because you hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. 
My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. So he's telling us what we need to do. In the morning we're going to seek him, we're going to praise him, we're going to thirst after him more than any water that can quench our thirst, more than anything we have in this world. Oh, and by the way, if anyone comes against you, this is the repercussions for them. This is why we don't have to walk in fear. When I say that I need to be around, I need prayer time, I don't need to worry about anything else is thinking. They might fire me from my job, they might beat me, they might kill me. Who cares? They will get their reward later. I might get my reward sooner if they kill me. Nothing that we need to be afraid of. There's no reason why we're not, but yet we're so tempted not to do this. In the mornings, we go off and do our own thing. At work, I can't tell you how many times at work I get thrown away, I get all these things coming around, I never once think about the Lord. I get home when I do, I quickly pray over my food because I'm hungry. I turn on the TV, I watch it, I go to bed. And then I wonder why I'm not walking in the power of the Lord because I haven't spent any time with him. This is what he is asking us to do. It's not easy. It's not, you have to die to your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want it. Your flesh wants more of the evil stuff. It wants the things that feel good. It wants the candy bars. How to get that one in there. It wants those things more than God himself. This is why when we, when we think about sin, we think about idolatry, it doesn't stop with worshiping the gods. Anything that we put ahead of the Lord, anything we put ahead of the Lord, is it your job? Is your job become an idol? Is the TV programs become an idol? See what I mean, how the Lord gave me this word of time. Everything sucks away our time that we allow it, and we don't spend time with the Lord. We should be known, hey, Nate, can you come on? No, because I'm praying from five to seven. Don't let him take away those times. Time is too close to the end. With revival is usually always great pains. Always usually great pains. And I love what Pastor Roger said earlier today and or during worship and I was, thinking, I was like, Lord, you know, I, I'm not used to preaching like this. I'm used to kind of teaching, going over some verses and giving some thoughts. And I kept thinking, I was like, Lord, what is it that you're trying to show us? What is it that you really want to get out there? Why are you saying that we need to be praying and communing with you more and more and more and more? The reason being is because it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. This nation is basically turned away from the Lord. Every wicked thing we could be doing is being done. There is no more definition of marriage. Marriage could be married between a man and a car or a woman and a dog. We have more abortion in the U.S. than any other country in the world. We have people in the, in the pulpits that are preaching false doctrines everywhere and flooding the airways. And we think if we get more Republicans in office, then it'll be fixed. <laughs> you know, so I started searching the scriptures. I was like, Lord, what is it? What is it? How can we be a broken nation for you? How can our hearts cry out to you? How can we fall on our knees weeping because we know what the end is? You know, when we looked at the killings that were in Las Vegas, I was there last year, or actually this year, uh, for work, and I saw the filth. I saw the destruction. I saw what sin does. There were over 172 brothels in the state of Nevada. 172, by the way, it's illegal everywhere in the U.S. but that state things that are driving us. And then we hear these shootings that happen. I think it was, can't remember how many were injured, but 58 were killed. What was the first thing that was brought up after those killings? It was about some sort of a gun control, whether it's part of a gun, a gun, a whole thing. It has nothing to do with a gun. It's everything to do with spiritually. Everything to do spiritually. And we should be weeping and mourning over that. Because how many of those people who were killed were not saved? That are now spending eternity in hell. The time is getting too close to the end. You know, I see all these things that take away our time, and 
You know, a prayer of a father for their kids, a prayer for a father of their wife, a wife of their kids, is starting to dissipate. It's starting to go away. Why? Because we're more concerned about sports, we're more concerned about schooling. You name it, we're more concerned. But here's what God's calling out to us. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. I actually got ahead of myself, but still a good verse. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. Humble yourself, turn away, and then you'll hear us from heaven. Then I will hear, and I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. Now my eyes shall be opened, and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. A humbling, an asking for forgiveness. You know, we call, and we call up things, and we say, hey, come up here if you're struggling with something. Only two or three come up. You wonder why. Are we not wanting to be humble? Are we afraid what our neighbors might think? Who cares? That's between you and the Lord. He's calling you to humble yourself and bring you to seek his face and ask for forgiveness. He's not calling you to say, hey, what would my neighbor think if I'm doing this while I'm going out there and praying? Who cares? We should be known for doing that. We've been forgiven for so much. There's also a warning that goes with that. So when we turn our face and we do these things, Daniel, chapter 9, verses 2 through 11, and 14 and 19. I'll try to read through these here for you. So we go back, we know Daniel had a lot of visions, he was given a lot of things from the Lord, and he showed him a lot of things, and he's going through in this particular chapter describing the desolation of Jerusalem. I'm going to start in verse 3. And he does what? His first thing he does, he sets his face to whom? He sets his face unto the Lord God. To seek by what? By TV? By a book? No, by prayer. To seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and I made my confession. Doesn't say what they were, but he says he made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. You don't hear that term very often. O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Now he starts talking a little bit more broadly. We have sinned and have committed iniquity. That sounds like the U.S. And have done wickedly and have rebelled, even departing from those precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto the servants and prophets Sent people in, hasn't heard, hadn't listened. Which spake in thy name our kings, our princesses, and our, fa- our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth to you, but unto us confusion of faces as this day to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to of all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries where thou hast driven them because of their trespasses. They have trespassed against you. O Lord, to us belongs confusion of face to our kings. He's saying this is what we deserve. This is what should happen. To the Lord God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed the law, even by departing, and may not obey his voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, an oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God. We don't want to be in that place. We don't want to be in a place where it's given over to every while, it's given over to every little thing. We want to be in the place where we're talking about repentance, we're talking about love of the Father. So verse, verse, verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten be renowned. And at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O oh Lord, 
according to all thy righteousness. I beseech you, let your anger and fury be turned away. Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. You want to know how to pray for a nation that's turned away from the Lord? This is how you pray for a nation that's turned away. You're saying, Lord, I know that we deserve destruction. I know we deserve all these things, but please show us your mercy. Turn us away from the wickedness. Show us the path that we need to go so we go out and preach the gospel more. Not talking about revival and not praying about revival. We're to be praying about it, not just talking. God, incline your ear, open your eyes, and behold our desolations in the city which is called by the name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for righteousness, but we do for your great mercies. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do not defer. For thine own sake, oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by your name. You want to know how to pray for the United States? Right there. Right here in his word. Lord, look at the wickedness that we have, the perversion of the truth, every wicked thing that's going on. But Lord, please forgive us. Turn us into a nation that instead of cursing your name, starts blessing your name. It doesn't just have to start there. It can start right here in Gaylord. There are more homeless, more drug addicts, more prostitutes in this little community than I think everyone's really even aware of. We have to be praying. We have to be fighting the battle in the spiritual, not in the physical. We're going to go to Ezekiel 10. And we'll start closing there. Ezekiel 10, 4. And seven, four through seven, sorry. This one struck me more this week um, than it has in the times past because I'm starting to see what the Lord is really trying to reveal, what he's really trying to do, how he's trying to change the hearts of men to stop following after themselves and start following after him. Ezekiel 10, four through seven. And the Lord said unto them, this is when he just got done telling somebody with an ink horn, to go out in the city. The Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. There, Ezekiel 10, sorry, 9. 9. See, you put all these tabs in here so you don't mess up, and you still do. Ezekiel 9, excuse me, 4 through 7. So he's saying, mark them that are sighing and crying after the abominations that are done in that city. Then it gets into the hard part. And to the others, he said, in my hearing, go ye after them through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have any pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom the mark, and begin where? In my sanctuary. Why in the sanctuary do you think it is? Because we have people that are preaching false gospels, we have people that are not living the truth, people not praying, not living after the Lord, but claiming that they are. So he goes in and says, start in my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And he said unto them, Defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew the city. And I thought, if the Lord came in this house today, would I or would you receive the mark? There wasn't a warning. There wasn't anyone going forth first. He said, do these things. Find those that are doing it without being told. Find those that are doing it because they're obedient. Find those that see the sin that's in the city and want to have something changed, that are praying for that. If you didn't receive the mark, you were killing. It doesn't matter if you're young, old, 
lame, deaf, mute, anything. But this can't be the same God we preach now. And I read all those verses and I said, this to me sounds like a precursor of what's about ready to come at the end of the, at the, end of the age. I'm going to read that briefly and this is where we'll close. So it's Matthew 40. Matthew 40. Did I just read the wrong thing again? I did, didn't I? I'll find it. This is what happens, so I don't do this very often. Matthew 24. I have no idea how I got 40. If it was 4, I might have gotten it, but it's, it's verse Matthew 24, 36, and we'll read until I think we should stop. But at that day and hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Just as when they went in those courts to mark them, no one knew of the hour of which he was coming. No one knew. It says, okay, if I act like it today at 9 o'clock, I'm good. He didn't say that. Coming an hour that no one knows, not even me, only my Father. But as the days of Noah, where so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So there's the warning. We were already living in those days. When we don't understand marriage, we don't understand the marriage bed, we don't understand life, we say that killing life is good and saving life is bad. These are the days of Noah. For as in those days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken and the other one left. Then he says, watch therefore, for ye know not the hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what the thief would have come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. He would have done nothing to prevent it until the day that he came. If he knew it was coming on March 7th, 2012, he wouldn't have done anything to protect his house until probably March 6th into March 7th. Therefore, we're to be also ready for such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. If you know how many people are preaching that God is not coming. Not coming, he's not going to be here. But he's talking to us, by the way. So when this is a faithful and wise servant whom the Lord has made ruler of his house, hold to give them meat in due season. Blessed is the servant whom is his when the Lord cometh and find him doing. Find him doing. Is this a resemblance to find those that are sighing and crying over the abominations? They're, they're actively seeking and praying. They're not standing to the wayside and, well, we'll see what happens. But verily I say to you that he shall make him ruler of all of his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of the servant shall come in the day when he looks not for him, and in the hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion, the hypocrites, that shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's not calling us to stand and be silent. He's not calling us not to be working and, and doing these things, but he is talking to us to be fighting spiritual things with spiritual, not in, the, not in the physical realm. We're to be found doing these things. So when you're home alone and you're on that computer, when you're looking at those websites, if the Lord comes that day, will you have the mark? When we're taught how to pray, and to pray for this nation, and we're not doing so because we're living after our own. What will it be like in the day of the Lord's coming? It's coming soon, and it's coming quick. And we have to be ready. We have to be ready. But the best laws, the best presidents, the best house, the best senate, the best judges, it's not going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. We have people that live in third world countries that know more about God. Why? Their only reliance is on him. 
Their only reliance is on him. They don't know where they're getting water for the day. They don't know where their food's coming for the week, except they know that God provides. They're praying for their brothers and sisters. Why are they praying for them? Because if, if a Muslim becomes a Christian, their family might kill them. We do it here flippantly. Well, okay, here you go. Here's the word. Hopefully you'll like it. But are we praying or weeping for those? Do we have brothers and sisters, and I'm talking about our actual brothers and sisters who don't know the Lord, that we fall on our knees, pray for every night that the Lord would break their hearts? Why? Because he's coming like a thief in the night. He will take up and there won't be another chance. Does that not break your heart? You have your kids that have gone away. Your pillow should be soaked in tears because you're praying that the Lord would change their hearts. Your neighbors across the street do not love them enough to share the gospel to. This is what the Lord is, this is almost like the start of what he's called us to do. To pray, to go out and to preach the good news. Why? Because we've been forgiven much, therefore we should show that to others. This is what he's calling for us. When you're watching those TV shows and your mind wanders off about other things, is that really pleasing to the Lord? And are you drawing closer or farther away from him while doing it? I'm not trying to give you a bunch of do's and don'ts, but I'm telling you that we can't keep continuing down the road we're going to and expect the Lord to bless anything when we don't even seek him. We have to seek his face. We have to seek his face. We're warned and warned and warned that he's coming soon. And he's asking us to pray. He's asking us to fall on our faces. He's asking us to seek him. To ask for boldness to preach the gospel. All these things is what he's asking us to do. Not because he needs us, but he commands us and we're to obey. So if you find yourself wondering, would I have had the mark? Am I ready for when the Lord returns? It's not a question you need to answer to me. It's not a question you need to answer to your neighbor. It's a question you need to answer between you and the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, is it worth it? Yes. Has being a Christian been one of the hardest things in my life? Yes. Why? Because I know the truth, I know the right, but I do the wrong and I ignore the truth. When I wasn't a believer, it was easy. Do what I want, when I want, have fun. Now I know the Lord's watching. And he's a jealous God. So a merciful God. But do you want to tempt him? Do you want to say, how close to the line can I get, Lord? If you're questioning that, I'm going to tell you, and you can do it anywhere. You can do it at your seat, you can do it up front, you can do it at your house. You don't get off your knees until he speaks to you and tells you you're his son or daughter. You seek him with tears, pain, with anguish until he answers. And you don't get up until he answers. There are lots of things that will distract us, a lot of things that get our attention. Pray that God will remove those away so that you can stay and worship him until he tells you to stop. We can't continue on the same road. Our knees should be bloody. Our holes in our knees should be wide. We should have a dent next to our bed. Why? Because we're on our knees praying to the God in heaven. Muslims pray up to 10 times a day to a false God, false prophet, a lie, a deception. And we find every excuse and every reason to not pray to the Father who's the ruler of everything. Is it going to make you more holy? Is it going to make you better? Absolutely not. But it's going to make you know the Lord better. It's going to cause you to know him. So when you start walking around and praying about revival, you walk up to somebody, you're already in tune with what the Lord's telling you. He tells you what to speak. You speak it in their life, and then the Lord does the rest. But if we're not seeking him, if we're not following after him, do not expect it to happen. Unless he wants to use a rock or a donkey or some other form because we're not obedient to his word. 
We're not obedient to his calling. See, people like to think that they're, well, some are called to do this, some are called to do that, others are called to do this. We're basically called to do anything the Lord tells us to do. Might it change tomorrow? Absolutely. I have fought the Lord for years about my fear in public speaking. Do you know what he does? He keeps making me do it. Why does he do it? For me personally, it's to show that it has nothing to do with me. Everything to do with him. So when we're going out, we're walking in the power, we're walking in his spirit. That's nothing about you. You're being a vessel. You just be obedient and tell him what he does. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to beat you up? They're going to make fun of you? Okay, guess what? They did it to Jesus. Therefore, we should expect it to be done to us. There's no reason we walk in fear. There's no reason for it. We want revival. Get on your knees and pray. Ask for forgiveness for this nation so he doesn't go through and wipe it out. Because the last days are coming and the time's drawing near. With that, I'll close in prayer. <clears throat> well, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for thank you, Lord, for your word. But Lord, as I just even got just, Lord, built up by you, Father, I don't want it to stop. I don't want to be excited today and dead tomorrow, Lord. I want to be excited until you take me home. Lord, give us the boldness to preach your word. Give us the boldness to speak to others. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, if our ears are clogged, break those open, Father. Teach us and mold us, Lord, that we can be more in tune with you, Father. Lord, I do pray, Father, that you would not destroy this nation. Lord, by your spirit and by your might, Father, you would bring great revival. Whereas we're talking right now, I pray that your spirit would be moving across these people in this city. Well, the people would not know why, but they can't be on their feet. They have to be on their face weeping because they feel your spirit moving. Lord, continue to do the work, but prepare us, Father, for when it's time. When those people come in, Lord, let us not talk of fleshly things. Let's not talk about football. Let's talk about food we're going to eat. We talk about you and your goodness and your love and your mercy. Build us up in your love and your faith, not our own. Use your words, your glory to preach the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray you enjoyed this message. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at gaylerchurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.